I'd like to turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. As, as we begin the message this morning, I'd like to read to you a quote from a well-known evangelist in our day, probably the most popular and well-known evangelist in my life. It's not, uh, it's not my intent to stand here and ridicule what other preachers say. Anybody who has enough sense to read the Bible could probably read, listen to any of my sermons and rip them apart as well. But the intent is to show you that there is a difference with what people say. And it's important to take note of those differences. I've been amazed at some of the well-known preachers in the world. I've been amazed at what they see and yet don't understand what they see. Let me read you this quote. Um, The man said that we are not going to heaven because we are good. We are not going to heaven because we work. We are not going to heaven because we pay. We are going to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Had he stopped right there, we all would agree with everything that he has just said. We're going to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross, comma, all you have to do is by faith receive it. And it's so simple to receive Christ that millions stumble over its very simplicity. You see, God made it so simple that children can believe. He made it so simple, so very easy that a blind man, a deaf man, a dumb man can believe. A man of any race can believe. A man of any nationality, of any language can believe. And that's all God said you have to do to get to heaven. Just believe. Now, that word believe is a little more than maybe you think it is. It means commitment. It means surrender. It means that I give everything I have to Jesus Christ and trust Him alone for my forgiveness and my salvation. It means that the moment you receive Him, your name is written in the book of life. There's a heat that I could address in that issue. But the question is, is why do primitive Baptists necessarily disagree with this statement? Firstly, by this individual's premise, I'm not going to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm going to heaven because of my positive response to what Jesus did on the cross. See, in order to say 
that I'm going to heaven by what Jesus did on the cross. If I hear that message and just say okay and walk away, heaven ought to be my home. But if I hear the message and disregard it or reject it or whatever, and I find myself in hell, then Jesus didn't save me on the cross. He made me save of all. That if I would just fulfill a commandment or fulfill an obligation or this, that, and the other, I could be saved. But technically, when He died on the cross, if my name is not written in heaven by that point, then Jesus didn't die to save me. He died to make me savable. Now the second thing is, He said, He said, anyone can believe. Well, my question is, believe what? Was this individual uh, completely true and uh, completely correct in everything he ever taught anybody? I mean, he preached for 60 years. Y'all know who I'm talking about, probably. But, you know, it's, it's not here to... His initials are VG. So, you know, I'm not... I don't want to throw off on a man because a man preached with, with great power times. He great, preached with great conviction. But he's a man like anybody else. He can be wrong just like I can be wrong. And that really is the crux of the issue right there. Any man can believe. Any child can believe. Any person can believe. But believe what? Do I believe what the Catholics teach? Oh, do I believe what the Protestants teach? Uh, am I supposed to believe what, what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach? Am I supposed to believe what the Muslims teach? Believe what? Because no matter where you start, you can create a line from one group of people to the other, and this person has just simply believe and, and heaven is your home. And the next person comes along and says, no, you don't just need to believe. You've got to repent and really mean it. No. And then you get come across another group says, no, you can't just believe and repent and really mean it. You've got to be baptized for remission of your sins. And not only that, you've got to be baptized for remission of your sins. And you have to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And if you don't do that, you're going to miss heaven. And then you get another group of people that come along and said, no, that's not that's not that's not it. You've got to do all those things and you need to live good and godly the rest of your days and you need to make sure that you send enough good works to heaven so that when you get to heaven and God puts your good works on the scale next to your bad works, your good works have got to outweigh your bad works. And the question comes to mind is, you know, at what point are we satisfied with the rules and commandments that we put on people? And by the way, are you listening to what I'm saying here? That we started with Christ on the cross. We have now come so far from Him, you can't see Him. And imagine, imagine your eternal destiny now being totally dependent on figuring out which truth is the truth. Y'all confused enough as it is by the news? 
It was said if you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. If you do watch the news, you're misinformed. I mean, we really don't even know the fullness of everything that's occurred in America just in the last two years. We're still trying to figure out who shot John F. Kennedy. We're still trying to figure out whether or not the moon landing actually occurred or not. We're still trying to figure out whether or not Elvis is alive. Maybe he's living in the forest with Bigfoot. I don't know. And UFOs and the Bermuda Triangle. Whether or not the earth is flat or round. I think it's flat. Well, three-fourths of the earth is water, right? Water is non-carbonated, right? Water is flat, right? The earth is flat. Um, thirdly, and think about this. Salvation has become nothing more than just a business transaction in what I described to you earlier. Now, I do, I do realize that there was a business transaction that occurred when Jesus paid the debt. I realize that. But salvation, and from that standpoint, Jesus has done this. God just simply says, if you'll do this, and in so doing, you can get something in return. Here, sign here, sign here, sign here. And now God will sign here, and sign here, and sign. And now we've got this thing sewn up, and, and now you're saved? Today. Until you mess up, and you break this agreement, and then we've got to start all over. If by dying on the cross that Jesus has only offered me the opportunity to be saved, He really is nothing more than a billboard that's propped up by the interstate that I drive by and pay little to no attention to. And preachers, or the preaching of the gospel, is nothing more than a poor infomercial. For preachers stand up, Declaring, come here, come here, come here, because what we have is better than what they have over there, over there, over there. None of that properly describes the greatness of the statement, it is finished. If my forgiveness and my salvation is in Christ, in Christ alone. Then he really doesn't need my help. He doesn't need my support. And he doesn't need my approval. To pay my debt. To close my account. And to redeem me from sin. See. Probably the last. And most important reason that I would disagree with the statement that went before me is that Jesus has not just done something for me. Listen to this. I, I do agree that Jesus did something for me. I do agree that Jesus did something for you. Jesus did something for someone. And no doubt about that. He didn't just do something for us, though, friends. He did something to us. And in Galatians 
chapter 4. Paul addresses that. In Galatians chapter 4, notice verse 4. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth His Spirit, or sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That verse tells us right there, those groups of verses right there tell us He hasn't just done something for us. He has done something to us. This was not just a legal transaction between Christ and God. This was a vital transaction that God did between Christ and you. He sent the Spirit of Christ into your heart. And when the Spirit of Christ takes hold of your life, the result is we cry, Abba, Father. The crying unto God does not occur to get the Spirit. The crying unto God is a result of the Spirit having been given to you. There are three times that that phrase, Abba Father, appears in the Scriptures. One here in Galatians. Uh, There's one time in the Gospel of Mark. But the other time that we want to look at is Romans chapter uh, 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Um, it's, it's well worth noting how many times the subject of fear and bondage is addressed by the apostles. It's well worth noting the number of times that fear and bondage is addressed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole of the economy of the news in this world depends on how afraid you are. The whole of the economy of what is pumped through your television the whole of the economy, what keeps them thriving is how afraid you are of the future. I mean, have you ever noticed that's what... The, what's Fox News? Fox News is a bunch of conservatives telling a bunch of other conservatives how useless the liberals are and how they're trying to destroy and take away every freedom that you have. What, what's CNN? CNN's a bunch of liberals telling another group of liberals how evil the conservatives are trying to oppress them and take away the freedoms that they have. And if we don't stop them, we're not going to have anything. Jesus said, fear not. It is I. Be not afraid. You've not received again the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba Father. 
The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. See, he ain't just done something for us. He's done something to us. A child, an individual, cries out to Almighty God because God has given him the spirit of adoption. The crying out to Abba Father, the crying out to God, the crying out to Jesus, the recognizing that when Jesus died on the cross, He died for me. Is verse 16 that the Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It is not that you preach so simply. A child can understand it. How many of y'all grew up hearing that? Oh, just preach it so simply a child can understand it. Well, you know, children are gullible. I mean, little bitty children are gullible. You can tell them anything you want to tell them. And you know what? They'll believe it. Adults are stubborn. Adults are stubborn because they've got enough history in their life to realize people will lie to you to get what they want. And so they're stubborn, they're skeptical of who and what you are and what you have to sell. I mean, take, I mean, just look at our, look at America. Look at the amount of things that we are fussing and fighting over, just of things we can see. And we're fussing and fighting over things. But you can't see God. You can't walk out here and observe the person of God and watch Him work. You say, well, it has to, you have to just, you have to just take it on faith. Um, faith is not something that a man is born with, it's like he's born with fingers and toes. Faith is a gift of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And if there is no faith in you, when the message is preached, the message will do you no good, not being mixed with faith in those that hear it. Paul said that in Hebrews 4. That's why he says in Romans, he says, it's revealed from faith to faith. What causes you to weep over your sin? The fact that the message is so wonderful? No! The fact that the Spirit of God is testifying in you, this message is wonderful. What causes you to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the Spirit of God within you, causing you to rejoice. Another preacher from Tennessee, he's dead and gone now. His name is Adrian Rogers. Preaching a Christmas sermon many years ago, asked this question. He said, what put it into the heart's of the wise men to seek Christ. 
He said the Bible tells us that there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. So what put it into the heart of these three wise men to seek Christ? He said God put it there. I got this on video, friends. I ain't lying. I'm not making this up. He said worship is a thing that God has put into the hearts of men to seek Him. And if you think that you sought God first, you're wrong. You sought Him because He sought you first. And I'm thinking, somebody that sees so much and yet doesn't understand what he sees. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming because the law demands it. It's the title of the message today, that Jesus is coming because the law demands it. Paul addressed that issue there in Galatians. Well, let's, let's ask ourselves this question. Have you ever noticed how human beings sometimes really are not satisfied uh, unless they're frightened and unless they're in turmoil and unless they are just absolutely uh, busy beyond measure? Turn with me to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 5. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 5. Moses and Aaron have come into Egypt and they have declared to the Egyptians, let God's people go. And let them go that they may go in a three days journey into the wilderness, sacrifice unto God. I'd like for you to notice here, Exodus chapter 5. And verse 4. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you under your burdens? There's no doubt that the Egyptians liked having Israel in bondage. Because the more Israel was in bondage, the less work the Egyptians had to do. By the way, human slavery didn't start in America in the 1800s. Human slavery has been a characteristic of human history since human beings were created. Black, white, Spaniards, Irish, Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter. Slavery is a characteristic of human beings. And it's been that characteristic since human beings were created. Or since they fell after being created. You say, well, what's that got to do with, uh, with anything that you've said this morning? Well, the wicked of this world, like the Egyptians, the wicked of this world, and the Pharisees of religion, really don't want people to be relieved of troubling burdens. This is why the news told us every day in 2020, every single day, they gave us a count of how many people had been diagnosed. 
It never occurred to people. I guess it never occurred to the mass of people. They're giving us a count of people who've been diagnosed, not a count of people who have died. Big difference. That's like counting the number of people who are born with red hair. Ain't a lot of us, but there's a few of us. Now, it'd be different if they gave us a count of everybody born with red hair that died. I'd be concerned about that. They keep you in turmoil. They keep you in fear. They keep you in bondage. New Testament preachers are no different. Turn to the book of Second Peter, chapter 2. Peter addresses uh, this little bitty issue. Second Peter, chapter 2. Verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And this is what we want right here. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. There's a lot of people out here in this world who are making merchandise off God's people. Um, I'm satisfied with the King James Bible that we have. I don't really think it needs to be translate, retranslated or, or uh, rewritten. I think it needs to be read and reread. And that's the, probably the biggest problem that people have, is they don't read it enough. And they don't study it enough. Oh, well, it's difficult in some passages. It sure it is. It's very difficult in some passages. So is trigonometry. It's difficult in some passages. It's hard to understand. Well, so is brain surgery. At some point in our life, the Bible's got to be important to us. But they make merchandise off God's people every so often by bringing out brand new translation. Better than the last one. This is going to fix all the problems that the last one had. Well, the last one that came out was supposed to fix all the problems of the one before it. And the one that came before it was supposed to fix all the problems that the one before it had. Well, at what point are we going to stop fixing the problems? I guess the point where we can stop making money off people. He said they make merchandise of you. Doctrine is no different. I do realize, <clears throat> I do realize, and turn to Acts 15 while I'm babbling on right now. I, I do realize, if you turn to Acts 15, um, that the Bible commands, teaches, says to us, be ye holy, for I am holy. I realize that Peter says to us, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I do realize that there are things that we need to do to become better disciples. 
There's not a thing you can do to become a better Christian. Or excuse me, let me let me rephrase that. There's not a thing that you can do to become a better child of God. It'd be like saying there's something that you need to do to become a better human being. We're all humans. I am what a human being is. Now, I may act like an animal, but I am a human being. You are a child of God. You can be a better disciple. Being a better disciple does not change your relationship as a child of God. Well, if I, you know, if we believe that uh, man can be saved and it doesn't depend on his works, then well, he just do anything he wants to. Well, he's going to do anything he wants to to start with. But you know, when was the last time that you, as a parent, said to your child, "I love you. I love you, despite what you do. You're still my child." Is that parent saying to them, "Go ahead and go murder people"? Go ahead and go steal things. Go ahead and lie to people. It doesn't matter. Not at all. But your relationship between you and me doesn't change. You are my child. But just like when the Egyptians said to Moses and Aaron, These people do not need to be freed from their burdens. They do not need to be freed from their work. Put them back to work. Preachers nowadays do exactly the same thing because they tell you your relationship with Christ, your relationship with God is just not deep enough. Because then you get all the way down here to this other end of the line. You've got a group of people who say, no, if you haven't made him Lord of your life, hell will be your home. And I've heard this, I've heard these people stand in their pulpits and look out and say, there's a vast multitude of people in here this morning going to die and go to hell. And Congress goes, amen. He says, I'm not talking to the heathen, I'm talking to you Christians. You know, what, what, kind of, what kind of weight is that? What kind of message of grace is that? It's not. And you kind of get the feeling, kind of get the feeling that the man preaching that is, is probably more unsatisfied with himself. And now i got to obligate a bunch of people out there to do something to make me feel better about my job as a preacher. Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 verse 24 says, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you. They troubled you with words, subverting your souls. And the term subvert there means to be to make upset. Saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. It, it was real hard for those first century Jews to let go of Mosaic law. It was so hard for them to let go of Mosaic law that even Peter himself argued face to face with God and told God he was wrong. Now, 
Some of you kind of looking at me like I'm done falling off my rocker this morning. You remember in, in, in the book of Acts chapter 10, Peter's up here on his housetop and he gets, he goes into a trance and there's a sheet that's let down in front of him in Acts chapter 10. And three times the sheet comes down and goes up and three times the angel says, arise, slay and eat. Peter says, no. Nothing common or unclean has ever touched my lips. I have never had country ham. I have never had catfish. I have never had bacon. I have never eaten any of this nasty stuff out here in this world. I will not slay and eat, though it is God telling him, arise and do this. God, you're wrong. See, childhood raising can be a dangerous thing. There's a lot of people cannot let go of childhood raising, and it does not matter what the truth is. Now, are you going to put their eternal destiny on your childhood raising? You're going to put the eternal destiny of your children on how you raised them? Good luck on that one. And here's a note for you too that if that if childhood raising is really going to ruin somebody's life, then how in the world? Y'all remember Madeline Murray O'Hare? Y'all remember who she is? Some of the younger congregation has no idea who she is. She is the woman who was responsible for having prayer removed from public schools in the 70s and the 80s. She hated America so much that she wanted to defect to Russia. When Russia found out how much she hated America, they denied her passport and sent her back to America realizing that inside America, she would do far greater harm than they would on the outside. Never cared about God. Never believed in God. Never prayed to God. You know, she has a son who's a preacher now. Who did that? Almighty God. Now, do I agree with everything that comes out of that man's mouth? Probably not. But who made him look to God? Who called his spirit unto him? Who gave him the spirit of life? Wasn't his mama. Sure wasn't some Sunday school teacher. Jesus Christ Almighty spoke to that man and quickened him. But here's Peter. I, 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 I ain't never done nothing like that. And he is arguing with God face to face, telling God he's wrong. Any of y'all ever been there? Nobody here has ever argued with God, have they? I, I won't address that. Uh, but what does Peter say? He says, there are some that come out and they trouble you. And they trouble you by telling you, we have still got to hold on to Moses. We've still got to hold on to circumcision which only affects half the population, by the way. You've got to keep the law. If you back up just a little bit in, uh, in this, uh, to verse 7, if you back up just a little bit to Acts 15, verse 7, it says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. 
and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, the difference between us and them is the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's what we're, that's what we're arguing here. A bunch of Gentiles will come in. Gentiles know nothing about Moses. So you, you've got to, you've got to hold to the old paths that granddaddy set up. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? Mmm. Can't repaint this building here. My granddaddy put that up. As a matter of fact, when they were painting the paneling that they were putting up, there's a shoe print right up there at the top of the wall. And that's my granddaddy's footprint. You think I'm lying, I am not. Cannot change the building. My great granddaddy did that. Cannot change the grounds. My great granddaddy did that. Can't sing out of a different hymn book. My great granddaddy sang out of that. When I was baptized at the age of 14 in January, the discussion that morning was, or that, that was a Saturday night actually when, when, when it all went down. The discussion was whether or not to baptize me, uh, half a mile down the road in Miller's Mill Creek in January, or perhaps drive a few miles up the road to Bethany Church, baptize me up there. Deacon on the front row said that creek was good enough for my grandfather. It's good enough for this boy. I'd a heat more rather had nice warm water. I've heard about people having these Holy Ghost experiences, having to crack the ice to get out there. I didn't have that. I had a near pneumonia experience. He says here, that God has made no difference purifying their hearts by faith. Now look at this. He did not say that God purified their hearts when they had faith. God didn't purify their hearts because they were faithful. Faith came when God came. And now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear. But we believe, here's, a conf- here's an article of faith right here, we believe, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. The same way that the Jews get to heaven, the Gentiles get to heaven. The same way that the Gentiles get to heaven, the Jews going to get to heaven. The same way that the oldest down to the youngest gets to heaven is by the sovereign grace of God. Nothing more. Nothing less. So you see, Paul said, Paul said in in, uh, Galatians chapter 1, he made this statement. He said to this church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, that I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which really is not another you know, if we, if we were honest with ourselves, this, this is going to be a, a politically incorrect and insensitive statement. But we'll say, well, this person belongs to another faith. As if all religions are on the same level. 
Friends, if we're honest with ourselves, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one truth. Now, one of the reasons that we kind of shy away from that a little bit is because we don't want to sound too pompous. I have the truth and nobody else does. I'm closer to God than nobody else is. Well, you know, we're not trying to say that, but we are trying to say that there is truth. And if there's truth, there's error. And if something is error, it's not near as good as that which is truth. If there's something in error, it's not near as good as that which is truth, even if that which is truth is not as true as it needs to be. Now, wow, that was that was a politician statement if I ever heard one. Let me let me let me think of it this way. Anybody here like to cook? I know you like to eat, but is there anybody likes to cook? All right, let's take a, let's take a pan of brownies. Pan of brownies has got to go in the oven for 325 for 30 minutes. About right. What if you pull it out and it's still kind of doughy in the middle, ain't quite cooked all the way through? Maybe put it in there a little bit more. Or you're in a rush, you got to get to church, get that brownies to the pastor, you know. Here it is, sorry, not quite cooked all the way through. It's still edible, isn't it? Right? <clears throat> Let's back up a little bit before you put that uh, that uh, cake batter, brownie batter into the bowl. Uh-uh. Let's... Uh, <clears throat> Let's just spit in the bucket. Now, we're not going to spit in the whole thing. We're just going to spit right in the middle. And then we're going to put the brownies on top of it, put it in the oven. What was that? Ooh, that's kind of churning for that one right there. Or maybe we won't go that, maybe we won't be that ugly. We just, we just drop some dirt in it. You know, God made dirt, dirt don't hurt. Would you agree that there's one of those pans of brownies a little less desirable than the other one? Our church may have just as many hypocrites as somebody else's, and it does. But I guarantee you there's a lot more here desirable than there are other places. We ain't perfect, but Jesus is. Here he says... Uh, What did he say? Verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Jesus Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that, what's that word? Troubled you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. The the true preaching of the gospel is not necessarily to trouble people. The true preaching of the gospel is to comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Declare unto her her warfare is accomplished, and she hath received double for all her iniquities. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, thus saith the Lord. Now, there does come a time when the preaching of the gospel has to uh, afflict the comfortable. But the majority of time, if I look out here, y'all got enough afflictions as it is. Y'all got enough troubles as it is. And so for me to then stand up here and tell you that Christ has done something, but what Christ did is not good enough, ought to be the most troubling thing you've ever heard in your life. We said earlier that uh, Christ is coming because the law demands it. Well, if I had to define a law, 
How, how could you define what a law was? A law is uh, any rule or command established by a person or entity in authority that promises rewards in exchange for obedience and punishment as the consequence of disobedience. That's reasonable enough. We do realize that not all laws are reasonable. Though they are authoritative if given by an authoritative source. We know that Jesus came into this world the first time. We know he's coming again. And we can say that there are at least two reasons that Jesus came into the world. Not, not only two that he came in, but there are at least two reasons that he came into this world. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, when Jesus is at the home of Zacchaeus, he says to him, this day is salvation come to this house. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's a very simple statement in Luke 19, uh, verse 10, right? Is that what your text says? Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, the reality is, is all he seeks, he saves. How did he do that? He shall die on the cross and he shall save his people from their sins. But if he died on the cross and didn't save you, then he didn't come to seek and save. He came to seek and make savable that which was lost. And here's another question too. That term lost, <clears throat> oftentimes it can refer to the wicked, but sometimes it can refer to the lost sheep, the house of Israel. Those two different classes of people. But, you know, you oftentimes you get, you get somebody to say, well, to what degree am I lost? Well, I mean, what makes a person lost? How lost do you have to be to be lost? If you're walking through the forest, at what point do you become lost? Do you become lost at the point you realize you're not where you need to be and you don't recognize anything around you? Or do you become lost the moment you stepped the wrong direction? Should have taken the right fork. I took the left. I'm sitting here wandering, daydreaming. You know, whoever, whatever it is I'm doing, talking to the person next to me. I look up 40 minutes later and realize, wow, I ain't where I'm supposed to be. Or I ain't where I need to be. Or I don't recognize any of this around me. I am just as lost. 40 minutes in as I technically was when I stepped off the path the first time. I'm still going the wrong direction. He said, well, it would have been easier to turn around. <clears throat> How easy would it have been to have convinced somebody who intentionally went the wrong way, you're going the wrong direction. That is not, we've always gone this way. Hour and a half in, you look at them and say, uh, have you always gone this way too? Shut up, leave me alone. Human beings are cranky and stubborn, aren't they? I believe I heard a preacher say that one time. That's all right. Um, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. But also in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 
about verse 17. Jesus says, I have not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Christ came, he came the first time to fulfill the law of God. And it really doesn't matter where you turn uh, concerning this subject of the law. Uh, one place you can turn is Romans chapter 8. Let's notice here uh, just briefly Romans chapter 8. And this is one of the good things about kind of the, 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 the Apostle Paul. And really, in my estimation, it's really one of the good things about being a primitive Baptist. All you got to do is read the Scripture. Because I'm not here to tell you this means something other than what it says. Notice this. Verse 3. Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do. Very important phrase, is it not? Here's the law. Something it couldn't do. It couldn't do something. Why? In that it was weak through the flesh. You and me. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind. The unsaved individual. The wretched individual. Void, void of the grace of God. This unsaved individual is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. To me, that seems very simple. Like you'd also notice Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Hebrews 10, 1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, could never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The, pur the purpose in, in offering sacrifices in the Old Testament was not to make the people perfect who offered the sacrifice. It's often been taught that the reason that God gave them sacrifices, that they'd offer that sacrifice, and they'd roll their sins back one more year. It did not. It did not roll their sins back and away from them. It rolled their sins right out in front of them is what it did. And this law was not that which saved God's people. It was a shadow of things to come. See that? It was not the very thing. It was the shadow of things to come. You ever been scared by your own shadow? You ever been standing in the kitchen or the living room something kind of just goes by and look over? What was that? You're not really looking for the shadow itself, but when that creepy dark shadow just kind of crawls across the floor up behind you, you're not really looking at the shadow. You're looking back to what's casting the shadow. Shadows don't do anything. I've got a hand here laid over the top of this book. There's a light that's shining down. His hand is blocking that light. It's creating a shadow down here on this book. But this shadow's not doing anything. The shadow cannot slap you. This shadow cannot hug you. 
This shadow cannot even turn the pages of this book without some trickery and sleight of hand. The law was not to bring salvation. The law was weak to the flesh. The law was a shadow of good things to come. Let's close out by reading a few few more verses in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Galatians 2.21 says, For I do not frustrate the grace of God. The term frustrate in here means to nullify or bring to nothing. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. See it? If righteousness had come by just your obedience, then why did Christ need to die? He could have stayed at home. Notice also, chapter 3, verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. God made a lot of promises to Abraham, right? And Abraham existed prior to Moses, didn't he? So how say people then that obeying the law is how God brings blessings in somebody's life? There wasn't no law. There wasn't no Moses. But there was Abraham and God's promises. And when God promised, it was sure to happen. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. He said, he said, if there could have been a law given. And I think God who is most omnipotent and most omniscient, who is all powerful and all knowing, If there needed to be a law given, I think he could come up with a law to give. But there was no law that could be given. Because the law is weak through the flesh. And also in verse 19 of chapter 3, uh, he says, uh, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Transgressions were already in this world before the law came. It's a good thing to stop down here at the end of the street at four-way crossing. Even if there's not a stop sign, it's a good thing to stop. But you go barreling through, something's going to happen. You probably should have stopped, paused, and watched. Now they can put up a stop sign out here. Why? Because of transgressions. And then when you go through the stop sign... That stop sign wasn't there when my granddaddy was along. Crossing that four-way stop was just fine for my granddaddy. Right? You get the point? It says in verse 24 then, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. What's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law never was to save any of us. 
The law was weak through the flesh. The law was a shadow of good things to come. The law was a schoolmaster to point us to Jesus Christ. And when he came, he fulfilled the law of God for you. So notice how Paul closes out this letter in Galatians chapter 6. He said in chapter 1 and verse 6 that there be some that trouble you. You ain't done enough. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't prayed through. You haven't got the second blessing of the Holy Spirit and jumped in and spoken in tongues and jumped over pews and stuff like this. You haven't done enough. So people spend their whole life trying to figure out what it takes to satisfy God. Yeah, that's, that's a foolish statement, actually. Because there are some human beings in my life that I, can, I, cannot, I cannot satisfy the human beings that are around me. They're as broken as I am. You ever met somebody that was as broken as you are, but then they were just ticked off at why the world wasn't perfect? They're broken. They make mistakes. They do things wrong. But the first thing that goes wrong in the world around them, we've got to fuss at everybody because they're not perfect. Well, God is perfect. And if you cannot satisfy somebody who is as broken as you are, I guarantee you, you cannot satisfy somebody who is holier than you are. Paul said in the first chapter of this, though, he says, there be some that trouble you by perverting the gospel. Notice how he closes this out. He says in verse... uh, Verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as is walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. There's a nice little verse right there that tells you that the Israel of God is not necessarily a physical physical land located over in the Middle East. The Israel of God is a people called by God out of the human race. Notice here. Galatians 6, verse 17. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's there's a mark that's upon every child of God. I realize that Paul had physical marks in his flesh from whippings, beatings, and stonings. But you know what? There's a mark in every child of God. There's a mark that comes when you hear the hymns of God sung. There's a mark that comes when the Spirit blesses the preacher to speak to your spirit. Sometimes that mark is a little smile. Sometimes that mark is a tear that runs down your cheek. Sometimes that mark is a cry out, God have mercy on me a sinner. Sometimes that mark is a cry, God, we thank Thee that Thou has hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. There is a, is a mark in every child of God put there by the Holy Spirit of God. You may not be the best disciple that you can be. You probably need to be a better disciple. But it is God who has made you His child. And you're not only his child by birth, but you're his child by adoption. And we know people who have disowned their earthly 
natural children. But once you adopt a child into your family, it is illegal for you to disown them. That's a fact. That's a law. So when God born you again of his spirit and made you his child, he might could have still disowned you, but then he adopted you also and gave you his name. And for that, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The law has been satisfied by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came because the law demanded it. And when he went back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, God was satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus Christ had made for the elect family of God. And we ought to be satisfied with it too. Thank you all for your good and patient attention this morning.